Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. It's going to be a wonderful hour because you know we're going to have our our Salvation Summer Series continue today. And our very, very, very special guest is Daryl B. Harrison. He uh, serves as the Dean of Social Media at Grace to You, which is, of course, the Bible teaching ministry of John MacArthur. And he has uh, got quite a resume, and I love talking about his resume. He's a f- um, fellow of the Black Theology and Leadership Institute at Princeton Theological Seminary in Princeton, New Jersey. And he's also a graduate of the Theolog- Theology and Ministry Program at Princeton Theological Seminary. And uh, he is a former uh, serviceman in the uh, armed forces. I don't know, he's done it all, but he's our guest. And he'll be joining uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner and myself. Peter, you're just back from your vacation, aren't you? Yes, I am, Bill. You know, and I'm mindful right now that you have never once referenced me as your very, very, very special guest no, before. No, no, you're you're the partner in helping me with the Salvation oh, Series. Well, fair enough. You know, you're you're the co-host. Well, That's a bigger enough. status, I think. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. No, vacation was good. It was it was one of those times where we got a chance with my five kids and my wife and I to spend about eight days together. And that, as the kids get older, that gets fewer and yeah. further between. And it was just a really delightful eight days. And just thought, gosh, who gets to do this? We're yeah. going to spend this time together. Returned with all five. We did. Awesome. We did. Yeah, there's woods around. You never really know. I know. You never know. Yeah. And if you come home with four out of five, it's still 80%, which is not terrible from that is a not bad. standpoint. Yeah. That is not bad. Well, let's uh, welcome Daryl into the program. Daryl, so glad you're with us today. Bill Arnold, my friend. Oh, I Long know. time no talk to, Bill. It's been, what, a couple weeks? A couple weeks, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always look forward to you, Daryl. I tell you, you're just uh, my fave. And I. I want to talk about the assurance of salvation today. Are you game? Absolutely, brother. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Because we started off this series about, what, four or five weeks ago now. And yeah. when the subject of salvation comes up on any radio program, maybe it lasts five or ten minutes. And we thought, are we leaving people f- wanting more answers, feeling confused? And we thought, let's just dig in and do it for seven, eight weeks. So we're we're in the process of that. It's about week four or five, and we're loving it. So... We want to talk today about the assurance of salvation. This is a big topic for many, many believers. Yes, it is. And as a matter of fact, that's a topic that I don't mean to plug the podcast, but I will in the context of just responding to your statement there, Bill. Uh, You know, in the Just Thinking podcast, we released uh, on episode 99 about a month or so ago, we did over a two-hour episode, and we titled it Assurance of Salvation. And I don't know if you heard that episode. I did hear yet, it. But there's, yes, it, so you awesome. know the story behind. I do. You know the story about how, how that episode came to be. And just for the sake of your listeners who may not be aware, we landed on that topic because um, as a result of a tweet that I sent um, on that topic, on Assurance of Salvation, I just felt really uh, burdened to, uh, to, to just send a brief tweet to sort of encourage and um, inspire believers out there who are struggling with that issue. And then within about two and a half hours of sending that tweet out, almost 1,500 people had liked it. Wow. And uh, almost 400 people retweeted it. So um, seeing that response in that short amount of time, in that narrow window of time, that really convicted me that my podcast co-host Virgil Walker and I need to 
dedicated an episode to that topic because it obviously conveyed to me that assurance of salvation is a matter, is a, an issue that countless believers around the world are struggling with. So uh, by God's grace, uh, Virgil Walker and I uh, dedicated uh, an entire episode to that topic, and uh, to date, it's, it's received about almost 60,000 downloads. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Daryl, I listened to uh, quite a bit of it as well, and it was extremely well done. Uh, I think it's definitely worth our listeners getting a chance to listen to sort of the two-hour take on what you did. I loved how you started it, and maybe you can kind of start in some of those places with us right now, too, of that idea. I, I think a lot of people are worried that their behaviors that they continue to experience, even though they've given their lives to Jesus or the thoughts that they have or or what's going on in their heart, that it could be evidence that maybe they don't actually have salvation or they've lost salvation. And and I love what you start with in talking about the heart really being a battleground. I mean, it, it's not yes. like when Jesus comes and begins to rescue us that it's super fertile soil in which he lands. There really is the battle, battleground of the soul going on at that point. Yes, you're exactly right there, Doctor. And as a matter of fact, it's interesting that you say that because I think your comment there is a great uh, segue into I'm, – I'm sure you both of you may be aware, uh, but I just became aware of it yesterday. There was an article in Christian Post – uh, ChristianPost.com that that um, they released uh, on Sunday, this past Sunday, that talked about a uh, study, the findings of a study from Arizona Christian University that found that more than 60% of professing Christians believe that good works get them to heaven. Uh, so I don't know if you're all aware of that report or not, but it, it really ties into a point that we emphasize over and over and over again in that Assurance of Salvation um, episode, that uh, obviously salvation is not a matter of good works. Salvation is a matter of the works that Christ performed and that, and that are putting our faith and trust in his uh, propitiatory, salvific, atoning work uh, on the cross. But th- the heart is a battleground. As a matter of fact, I was reading something just earlier today from John Calvin's uh, Institutes of the Christian Religion, where Calvin said this, quote, he said, in teaching that faith must be certain and assured, we do not envisage a certainly untouched by doubt, a certainty that's untouched by doubt, nor a sense of security which is exempt from all worry. On the contrary, we maintain that believers have to do perpetual battle with their own lack of trust, the last thing we want to do is set their conscience down in some peaceful retreat, safe from any storm. Nevertheless, in whatever way they are assailed, we deny that they will fall away or depart from the sure trust which they have once and for all placed in God's mercy, unquote. So that battle does go on in the heart, and I think one way Satan attacks believers is to have them convinced that their salvation is a matter of their works. And from the moment they slip up in the slightest sin, uh, Satan wants that doubt to creep into their mind and heart. And it's in the mind and heart where the battleground, uh, the battlefield of the mind and heart is where that battle takes place. I'd love for you to just stay with that that theme of doubt a little bit about how do we handle it when we experience that doubt. I think one of my favorite passages of Scripture from Matthew 28 
is when the resurrected Lord is standing on the hillside with about 500 people, and it says that everybody worshipped him, and some doubted, even in the midst of their worship. And, and I often think, how in the world, when you're standing there in front of a resurrected Lord, could you possibly doubt in this moment? And, and yet it seems to be sort of part and parcel to the human condition, this side of heaven. Yeah, I would, I would totally agree. As I listen to you there, I'm thinking about um, there was a song by the group For Him that I used to like. It was, I think they, it came, around, came out on their Christmas album, and the title of the song was A Strange Way to Save the World. And it talk, in that song, it talks about how God chose to send his son into the world in a low, the, the most lowly condition possible in a manger, um, you know, born as a baby, born in human flesh in a, in a dirty, grimy, dingy manger. And I think uh, when you refer back to those who were listening to Jesus in the passage from Matthew, it's, 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 it's funny, right, how we... We we won't necessarily disagree as human beings that we're sinful, that we're that we are innately uh, corrupt in our hearts, that we need a savior. In other words, however, in acknowledging that there's this sort of dichotomy that goes on, while uh, while at the same time acknowledging that we're sinners, we doubt that 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 that, that the way God chose to do it. All right, it, 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 it's, it's something that we can believe. It's something that we can grasp onto, uh, because in our nature, we always want to add something to it. We want to add something of our own works, of our own effort, of our own ability to what God Himself has has done. And I think again, that's another pathway into the mind and the heart that Satan likes to trip us up in, 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 in having us believe that we have to augment a completed work that Christ has already accomplished with our own works. I kind of like to describe it as salvation with an asterisk. So that asterisk is the fine print that we like to add to the work that Christ has already done, because for some reason we just can't believe that it's as simple as the gospel tells us it is. Uh, it's Romans ten nine. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that Christ is raised from the dead, you will be saved. And uh, but but for some reason that that struggle, that tension exists within us, to where we just cannot convince ourselves that it's that simple. I didn't say easy, but I, did, I uh, that it's that simple. Seems like it's a lot of noise in our heads, Daryl. Yes, exactly right. You know, when I was in Atlanta um, uh, years ago, I was a member at First Baptist Church of Atlanta where Dr. Charles Stanley, I believe, is still pastoring there. And I'll never forget something that Dr. Stanley said. He said that the battlefield of Satan is the mind. Mm -hmm. I've never forgotten that. And uh, this is one reason why, uh, you know, I've I've often said that, you know, the the gospel is not some magic pixie dust, okay, to where, you know, even after you uh, come to faith in Christ, right? And we know from 1 Corinthians um, one uh, thirty, that Paul writes that it is by God's doing that you are in Christ Jesus. So even when we come to Christ, it's not as if we become, in a sanctification sense, brand new, perfect individuals. The, the, the struggle with the flesh goes on. Uh, uh, Paul made that clear in Romans six and seven uh, that that struggle is going to going to go on. But we we have to, as it says in Romans twelve two, we have to. 
understand that our minds need to continually be renewed. And the one way to do that, if not the best way to do that, probably combined with having a consistent prayer life, is getting in the Word of God, immersing yourself into His Word, and refreshing your mind with the truth so that you can fight that battle victoriously against those arrows of doubt that Satan wants to send your way. All right, Daryl. We're off to a great start. Daryl Harrison is our guest. We're on our Summer of Salvation series with myself and Peter Kapsner. We're having just a wonderful uh, time doing this. And if you have a question or a comment, you can certainly send me a text, 877-933-2484. If you need something clarified that you heard, we'll be back with lots more in just a minute. And it should be given to you, <laughs> Daryl. Right. There's your song. You. Yeah, there's your song. We're in our Summer of Salvation series. Our guest is uh, Daryl Harrison, and uh, Peter Kapsner is uh, co-hosting this series, and just we're having a wonderful time. Uh, I think what I'd really love to do, uh, Peter, I think, is have Daryl jump into the assurance segment. I know we're going to have plenty of time to talk about this, but the sooner the better. Yeah, Daryl, it was so interesting to listen this morning, I think. I, I didn't realize uh, the places in the Scripture where assurance is used, both in the Old Testament and New Testament. So maybe just kind of walk us through that idea of what does assurance mean from the Scriptures, and, and how do we begin to experience that as believers? Yeah, you know, one thing we uh, pride ourselves on on the Just Thinking podcast, my co-host Virgil Walker and I, is defining the terms we use. And we're, we're very dogmatic about that, very rigid in doing that. And in, the, in that podcast episode that we did on assurance of salvation, we pointed out that that Greek verb assurance is the word hypostasis, okay? So we find that in Hebrews 3.14, Hebrews 10.22, and Hebrews 11.1. 1. And that, that Greek verb hypostasis is a compound of two Greek words, right? Hypo, meaning under, and histemi, uh, which is a – histemi is a prolonged version of the Greek verb stao, which means – to cause to stand or to make to stand, to cause a person or a thing to hold its place, to stand still, to be immovable, right? To, to stand safe and sound, unharmed, stand ready and prepared. So when we look at what the idea of assurance means biblically, we understand it as being a full and confident belief that we will be able to stand safely and securely, immovable, unharmed, completely ready and prepared because of what Christ did in our place. But that begets the question, right? Understanding what assurance means still begets the question, um, prepared and ready for what? Okay? What, 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 what is this assurance, this, this assurance that we have uh, through Christ's atoning work on the cross? What does that prepare us for? Well, the Scriptures give us that answer in many places, many places, uh, such as Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, where it says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent, because he has fixed the day, that is, God has fixed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Uh, another text would be Romans fourteen twelve. 
so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Second Corinthians 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And then lastly, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, a verse that I'm sure most, if not all of your listeners, Bill, are familiar with, and inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this, the judgment. So that assurance is a uh, a fixed reality because of what Christ did, okay? And the significance of assurance is that one day God is going to call us all to judgment. You, we're all going to have to give an account uh, for our lives. And the beauty of what, what Christ has done is that we stand, we'll be able to stand assured. We'll be able to be assured that we can stand before God on the basis of the righteousness of Christ and not our own righteousness, which is as filthy rags as the Scripture says. So that that assurance piece of it isn't necessarily related to how well we perceive we're doing in life with our spiritual journey. It has something to do, something outside of ourselves altogether. It's totally outside of ourselves. It's, it's what Calvin describes as an ex nihilo, or it's out, it's out, outside of ourselves, extra notes, that is. Extra notes meaning outside of ourselves. So it's like uh, Charles Spurgeon described it. Salvation, in short, is deliverance from sin, deliverance from the guilt of it, from the punishment of it, from the power of it. And that deliverance was effectuated by the work of Jesus Christ in our place. So, again, talking about what we were uh, speaking of right before the break, about that battle that goes on within the mind and the heart. And I think that's the one aspect when we talk about assurance. If I had to narrow it down to one thing, I think people who struggle with assurance struggle with the fact that it is, it is a matter of Christ holding on to them and not them holding on to Christ. Hmm. So, so a pathway for somebody maybe that is struggling with assurance, as you talk about, isn't necessarily, again, to try to clean themselves up or do better or make another commitment. or And, and those things matter, but, but the pathway is something different. It's about somehow inviting God into the midst of, of their own struggles to give them the assurance that he provides, not based on what they're doing. Exactly right. You know, it's, it's funny, if I could use a sports analogy here, you know, in baseball, there's a statistical category called a save. Right, you guys are familiar with that? Yep. Oh yeah. Well, th- that's that's just another short-term way of, of of salvation, where you get a relief pitcher, or several, depending on the game <laughs> situation, that come in and relieve the starting pitcher, and if if they end up winning the game, it goes into the statistical books as a save. Now, I think that's an interesting statistical category. I'd love to do research on the origins of that particular category at some point, but that that's basically. Uh, telling uh, the the, uh, the fans and the, and the team that listen, th- this pitcher, these pitchers came in and they saved the starting pitcher. They saved this win for the starting pitcher, and it goes into the books as a save for the for the individual relief pitcher. But it also goes into the books as a win for the team. Uh, so if I could use that analogy as it relates to us as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. What, what Christ did on the cross for us, matter of fact, not just on the cross, but his life, his life as well, in him obeying perfectly all the law, okay, for our sakes, for our, uh, for our uh, redemption, for our forgiveness. Because of what Christ did, our salvation is already in the books. It is already secure. It is already se- secure. That statistic cannot 
and will not change. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life by faith. We know this from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by faith you have been saved, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not based on works, so that no one may boast. Okay? It, 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 and that's what I mean by by saying earlier, it is that simple. I'm not saying it's that simplistic, but it is that simple. But what Satan would have us complicate that simple salvific formula that God has ordained through his son, Jesus Christ. Satan would have us complicate that by our doubts, our fears, uh, our sins, right? And, 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 and as sinners, as we sin, uh, Satan uses each of those sins uh, to just chip away at that assurance to where we're not only doubting, but some individuals fall into a, a deep depression uh, because they focus on themselves as the means uh, and uh, themselves and their works as the means of keeping themselves safe. So they'll say, well, I believe Christ saved me, but I have to play my part in keeping myself safe. See, that's, that's, that's the lie that Satan wants you to believe. And unfortunately, many believers have uh, and do believe that. Mm-hmm. Daryl, when I was listening to your podcast, there was a word you used that I thought, okay, I have to ask Daryl about that word. And I only had one word to remember. So you'd think I'd remember it, but I, <laughs> but now I don't. <laughs> but I want to say it starts, it starts with a P. It's like plethora or something like that. Ah, uh, hmm. I'll have to, I'll have to, maybe you can give me a second during the next break. Yeah. To, yeah. Um, so Bill's to kind of fi- uh, figure that one out where you, where you were in the episode on that. <laughs> yeah. One. It's probably in the first, I, like I said, that, that was a two hour episode. Yeah. I have a lot. It, it was in the, over. it was in the first 35 minutes. It was okay, like cool. plethora or I can't remember <laughs> now. I'm now, now I'm bugged. I thought you would know it for sure. So I will, I'll definitely uh, at the break, look for it as well. All right. We'll, we'll see if we can, uh, uh, take care of that for you there, uh, Bill, and, and get that done. Yeah, well, we're, we're, not, we're not at the break yet. <laughs> no, go, go right in. I thought, I thought right before we go to break, you'll fill me in on what that word meant. And, oh. and now you got to look for it yourself. But that's cool, because I'll look for it, too. We'll both, we'll both come up with it. But awesome. it, it often happens with people that the listeners, I get a lot of comments from listeners, uh, and, and they, they want so much to feel confident, and they, they feel like they're persevering. And they're and they're declaring that they're saved, but they don't feel it. And I, I want to. I'd love for you to talk about that. We only have about ninety seconds. Yeah, and that's another big uh, pothole, if I could use that uh, metaphor uh, that that a lot of believers fall into, is that they their uh, their, their their feelings, their emotions, come in uh, as a factor in uh, confirming for themselves their salvation. Uh, you know, and again, that's just another falsehood. That's just another lie that Satan would have us to believe. Because again, Satan doesn't want want us to walk in victory and in truth. He wants us to walk in doubt and fear and uncertainty. Uh, And among all the uncertainties that we do face in life, assurance of salvation should not be one. Because again, we serve a God who does not lie. Mm -hmm. God does not lie because he cannot lie. Uh, so, um, in, in the interest of time, I would j- just leave it there and just uh, help. Uh, I want to encourage your listeners who are struggling with feeling that they're saved to just, again, reorient yourself to what the scriptures say. Your salvation is not a matter of how you feel, uh, but it's a matter of what Christ has done. You are so solid, my yeah. brother. We're going to take a little break. We'll be back with lots more with Daryl B. Harrison. This is our summer series on salvation. 
Peter Kapscher and myself are in the control room. We'll be right back. Harrison, we're chatting about salvation. Peter Kapsner, Peter, you got a great question for Daryl. Yeah, Daryl, I was. We were talking during the break a little bit about one of the things that I was terrified by growing up was I think it was a youth pastor who once said, you know, when you get to heaven. Uh, the videotape of your life is going to be run for everybody to see. And, and we're all going to have to go through it. And that's sort of what it meant to, to stand and give an account that you referenced in the last segment. But, but I'm guessing that's probably not what it means for us to have to stand and give an account. So I would love for you to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up here because, you know, I mean, I don't know if there's any other layer or aspect to Christian theology or biblical theology that has more myths that need to be debunked. Is uh, than than the, what heaven is going to be like, um, and and I think uh, Scripture makes clear, um, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that our standing before God is going to be an individual experience. Okay, this is not going to be like a drive-in movie where where, 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 where so people are, are all standing around and pull up uh, in their in their cars and just park and wait for the the slideshows and and the, and the film to run. That's not how it's going to happen. <clears throat> it's going to be a one-on-one encounter. Um, as I quoted earlier from Romans fourteen twelve, Paul was very explicit in what he said. He says, for each man, for each person, will give an account of himself. Those are singular personal pronouns that Paul uses there. Uh, so this is not going to be some conglomerate uh, gathering of uh, believers, because again, in heaven, right, let's, let's talk attitudinally, right, we will be perfectly glorified, we will be perfectly sanctified in heaven. So there would be no reactions negatively to such a uh, to such a scene to begin with, but that is not how heaven is going to be. It will be uh, Daryl will have to stand alone uh, by himself, give an account of his life to the Lord. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter twelve, uh, verses thirteen and fourteen make that clear. But there will not be the uh, the, uh, the the a gallery or. Uh, uh, a stadium of, of folks uh, uh, looking over my shoulder when that happens. No. Well, that'd be a, that'd be a pretty long, uh, se- you know, series of conversations for sure. The first whole like eon of heaven would be if all six billion of us had to go through that with one another, right? Indeed, I'm, I'm thinking. Listen, my, the film of my sins alone would probably take a thousand years. <laughs> 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 But, uh, Bill, I want to let you know, good news, brother, I did find that Greek word that you were uh, oh, oh, alluding thank to earlier. So, yeah, what is those, it? That was the Greek word, plerophoria. See? That was not that far off, that's was the one. No, that's what yeah. you were saying. Uh, say it again, Daryl. Plerophoria. Okay. It's P-L-E-R-O-P-H-O-R-I-A. And what does it mean? Plerophoria. And it, actually, that's another uh, Greek New Testament word for, for assurance. Assurance can be divided into two pieces. We talked about the hypostasis act, uh, um, aspect of it earlier, where, uh, where it means to stand secure and immovable. Well, plerophoria means uh, that that's so, so the first Greek word was positional. Let me put it that way. Hypostasis is posi- your position in Christ is, sec- is secured. Plerophoria has to do with our attitude and having confidence and believing that our position is is secure. So the the plerophoria comes in uh, where we attitudinally believe 
what hypostasis means. Okay, so uh, for instance, in Colossians 2.2, 2, uh, Paul writes that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attained to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding. Okay, so Paul is attitudinally speaking here, of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. And then the second example uh, of a verse where that Greek word pleroforia is used is in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance. So there's that phrase again, full assurance in Colossians 2.2, 2, full assurance in Hebrews 6.11, full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So pleroforia has to do with our attitude, our having that confidence, having that belief, having that faith, that what hypostasis means, that we are secure, our standing is secure in Christ, that that's going to come to pass as we uh, have just read in Colossians 2.2 2 and Hebrews 6.11. It, it sounds like a bit even that there's a disconnect between our head that can believe in the hypostasis that you described, but when it comes to actually in the heart, like living it out and experiencing it, that second word that you just used, I think is what a lot of us long for. Right, exactly right. And I, I love the phrase you used there, Peter, Peter live, living it out, living it out. And see, th- th- see, this is this is that tension again that we, ha- we have to remind ourselves, right? We are saved sinners living in a sinful world. Okay, we're not home yet. Okay, uh, Peter says in First Peter that we are aliens and strangers in this world. This world is not our home. This whatever address you have is temporary. Okay, but but the as the the effects of living in a sinful world is going to create uh, a plethora of spiritual tension for us until either Christ come back, comes back or until he takes us home to be with him. That's going to be real, the reality for us. There's going to be tension here. This is why in the uh, two passages that I just read a second ago in Colossians and Hebrews, the emphasis on, is on faith and believing, okay, and believing, right? Believing and having that faith, having that trust, having that confidence in the character and nature of God. And this is what we stress we drove this nail home I don't know how many times in the Assurance of Salvation uh, podcast episode that we did. This is why it is so important that we focus our eyes on Christ. We focus our, our hearts and minds on what he did because it is a perfect God who has made this promise to us. Um, it's, it's, it's like uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said in his uh, sermon uh, titled Let a Man Examine Himself. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He said, my dear friend, the first thing that you and I have got to understand about this kingdom of God is this. It is primarily not a question of what we do, but of what he does. Okay? So if we can trust, if we can have faith that God clothes us, he houses us, he feeds uh, us, um, then we can also have faith uh, in those quote-unquote little If we can have faith in those quote-unquote little things, then we can have faith that that same God is not going to break his promise to us to save us and see us through to the end. I'll jump in. Uh, Daryl, I've got a a dear listener. I would love for you to speak right to her heart right now. Um, I love what you said earlier uh, about fixed certainty. Those are two words I love together when it comes to our salvation. 
And she asks, how do you know when you've truly repented? I try to remind myself that I am saved by God and that he loves me. However, it still feels like a very intellectual interaction with God. Mm. I find myself being more satisfied with the things of this world, family, health, etc., instead of being genuinely, genuinely content and left alone with God himself. I want to know I'm saved, but it feels like something I still need to convince myself of it. I'm getting to the point of where I need to just accept that I'm saved and try to repent. Right. So if you'll note there, right, we were just talking a second ago about yeah. our emotions and our feelings, yeah. right, about how they can cloud our assurance and basically um, have us, you know, not just doubting, but in a, a state of depression. Um, I'm reminded of a quote that I read from Henry Smith in that episode on assurance and salvation that we did. Henry Smith said this, he says, by this you shall know. And I pray this, um, if not totally, maybe in part, Um, answers the listener's question that was posed. Henry Smith said, by this you shall know whether you have given your heart to him, that is to God, or not. If the heart be gone, all else will follow. That is, Henry Smith is saying, if if your heart is, is, is even in the least sense, going after God, if you're pursuing God with your heart, all else will follow. Smith continues. He says, as the sun rises first, And then the beasts arise from their dens, the fowls from their nests, and men from their beds. So when the heart sets forward to God, all the members will follow after it. The tongue will praise him. The foot will follow him. The ear will attend him. The eye will watch him. The hand will serve him. Nothing will stay after the heart, but that everything else goes with it, unquote. That was Henry Smith, you know, and, and again, thinking about the, the question that your listener just posed, Bill, I, I'm reminded of something that R.C. Sproul said, because he, in one of his Q&As, he, he talked about how he's asked that question all the time. How do I know that I'm saved? And R.C. went through a series of four questions, but the the the, uh, the last question w- w- was the money question, so to speak, where R.C. Sproul said, right, you know, none of us loves Christ perfectly. We know that. We don't love Christ for five seconds with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. None of us has ever done that from the moment we were saved. But he says the question is this. Do you love Christ at all? If you can say that you love Christ to any degree, then your salvation is secure. You You can be secure that you are saved. It's not about behaving perfectly walking perfectly, uh, and you think about, I, I can't think apart from the un- unpardonable sin. I cannot think of a more egregious uh, sin, an ov- overtly egregious sin than what Peter committed in denying mm. three times that he even knew Jesus. And yet what ends up happening is that after the resurrection, Jesus says Go and tell the disciples and Peter. Peter was the only disciple that Jesus mentioned by name. The one who sinned most egregiously is the one Jesus mentioned by name. And Peter went on to be the the mouthpiece, the voice of the disciples. So again, I think what we need to understand is, uh, for that listener, is to set your feelings aside. Please know. Um, as John Calvin said, Calvin said, since no man is excluded from calling upon God, the gate of salvation is open to all. There is nothing else to hinder us from entering but our own unbelief. 
So if that, if that listener can say to herself in her heart that she believes, in accordance with Romans 10, 9, your feelings have absolutely nothing to do with it, okay? I'm sure the thief on the cross didn't feel very saved at, the, at that moment, <laughs> and yet he spoke confidently to Jesus. And what did he say? He said, remember me when you come into—he didn't say the kingdom. He said, when you come into your kingdom, that means that that—, that that thief on the cross somehow heard about who Jesus was, and he believed. Even even through nails driven into his uh, wrists, feet, hanging on a cross, he believed. I can promise you that in that moment, his, he didn't feel very saved at the moment. Hmm. Do you think, Daryl, that some of it, too, in, in those moments where uh, we, we just live in so many conditional relationships where the, the people either approve or disapprove of us around us because of our behaviors, whether it's our teachers or our employers, and, and it just gets hard to believe that we could be in the hands of that good of a God who, who joins us with joy in the midst of our own struggles and, and isn't in that constantly conditional place with us. Yeah, that's a great point, Peter, you know, because, listen, the first example of who God is to us is, is probably our parents. Right. I, right. I would venture to say that. And and parents have authority. They're, they're authority figures, right? They're authority figures. So uh, I don't know any of us who's um, even now within the sound of my voice who are, are don't, don't have some sort of authority figure in our life. And if you've got any semblance of an, uh, a, a work ethic or, or anything like that, you, you want to please that person. You want to please that person. Unfortunately, many individuals come into our lives and, and we form relationships with um, have standards and expectations of us that are higher than even what God expects of us. Uh, and it's in those situations that we usually measure God against, unfortunately. Um, so we end up getting a, mis- a skewed view of who God is. We get a, a, a misplaced view of the character and, and nature of God uh, because we, 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 we view God through the visage or, or the mirage of human flesh and blood people that we can touch and see um, who who love us imperfectly, okay? So um, so you're absolutely right, Peter. There are, there are those um, experiences that we have through those relationships, through those imperfect relationships, and, and I don't care how, how much you're loved by your spouse, by your wife, your husband, by your parents, your children, those are all imperfect relationships. They're all, that, that, that is imperfect love. Okay, so we would we should never use those individuals as examples of, um, you know, how we're doing, how, you know, how virtuous we are or, or not. Um, what we do is 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 we we measure ourselves against the uh, uh, imputed righteousness of Christ. His righteousness has been imputed to us. This was God's plan from the beginning, all the way from John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave. I've always said that the most important word in John 3:16 is the word "gave." Uh, this is we serve a God who took it upon Himself to proactively put into place a plan of salvation for people who were His enemies. I mean, think about think about that for a second. From the moment you're mm-hmm. conceived, you're conceived an enemy of God. Yet God came after you. Wow. All right. We need to take a little break. We'll be right back with more of Daryl Harrison as we are talking about salvation in our summer series. Be right back.
back with our salvation series daryl b harrison is our guest a very uh great text just came in daryl from a listener named michael he said how much of our questioning about assurance is simply trying to capture the sense of jesus loves me this i know wow that's a that's a fantastic question I yeah agree. You know? yep yeah you know one of my pet peeves i have a lot of pet peeves but one of my <laughs> <theological> <laughs> One of my theological pet peeves is that pastors, especially uh, churches in America, that pastors do not preach expositorily, um, and and that is harming. That is doing great damage to uh, many professing believers' uh, understanding of what salvation is. We we make a point of this in the Assurance of Salvation episode that. Um, uh, a lot of folks uh, deal with this issue. They deal with the lack of assurance because they haven't been taught. They haven't mm. been taught what salvation is. They're still in the Sunday school nursery rhyme phase. Mm. Um, I, I don't say that um, condescendingly at all, uh, but I just say that's that's just the reality to the point of the question that the uh, that the the, the texter uh, points out. There is uh, a uh, uh, as I've been saying before. Salvation is simple, but it's not simplistic. So, so you you've got those uh, professing believers who do subscribe to a Jesus loves me, this I know uh, paradigm of salvation. They've never heard the words soteriology. They've never heard the words justification. They've ne- they've never heard the words propitiation. They've never heard the words imputation. They don't they don't have any idea what those mean. They have no concept of the fact of, 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 of I, I kind of divide the, the whole salvation uh, paradigm into three parts, right? The problem, the solution, and then the result. So the problem we have in Romans 5.12, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. So that's the problem. We're all sinners. The solution is, as I alluded to earlier, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And as a result of that solution, the result is Romans chapter 5, verse 9, which says, Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more we shall be saved by him from the wrath of God. So most people don't even know. Most professing Christians who would uh, profess that they're saved, that they're believers, if you were to ask them, well, what do you say from? They wouldn't be able to tell you. They wouldn't be able to tell you. Well, okay, you're saved, but from from what? And it's it's not from what, it's from who. It's from who. Romans 5, 9 makes that clear. Again, I'll read it once more. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So in salvation, we're saved by God from God. Okay, and I don't think, most believers have ha- have ever had that taught to them, even at the sort of high level that I just addressed it in those few seconds. But I think the questioner has a great point. There is this sort of nursery rhymish, um, uh, veggie tales ish uh, uh, paradigm of salvation 
that many, many, many adult believers, I'm talking mature believers, hold on to um, without an understanding of the various elements and inputs that that go into um, God's plan of salvation uh, for those who, who believe in him. And, and Daryl, among the many things I love in just listening to you talk is how you sort of effortlessly are just weaving in past theological quotes and, and the way people have thought about our faith through history. And it, and it seems to me what I'm hearing you say is a, another mechanism by which people can really begin to develop that assurance in their own lives is to just become students of history and students of the scriptures and students of of where this beautiful story has been all this time, that, that it is simple on one level yet, and yet it is it, it is sort of almost inexhaustible to explore. And as you do so, you, you just see the richness of all of this that's available to us. Yeah, that's, that's another great point, Peter. And you, you're sort of alluding to another uh, theological pet peeve of mine. You know, I wrote a, an article on my blog a few months ago, and I titled it Six Reasons the Church in America is Becoming Increasingly Impotent. And mm. the, the, fir- the first reason, reason that I mentioned at the top was hermeneutical immaturism. And what I mean by that is that there is a mature, there's an immaturism within the church. Some people call it biblical illiteracy, uh, and I'll just go ahead and use that term, that there's a, depth, a dearth of biblical illiteracy, illiteracy within the church, w- wherein uh, out of all the Bibles that we own, right? The average American, I think, owns, the average Christian in America owns four Bibles. We 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 don't study. We don't study. We're not Bereans, okay? We're not Bereans, as a um, as it says in Acts, that we should study the Word. I'm I am so dogmatic about that. I mean, you want to get me fired up? You 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 talk about Christians being students of the Word. If you're going to be a student of the Word. You not only have to immerse yourself in the scriptures, you have to study. You have to study the church fathers. You have to read um, Augustine and uh, Spurgeon and Thomas Watson. You have to read the Puritans. You have to listen to D. Martin Lloyd-Jones and read books on theology, read, read systematic theologies, read historical theologies, read biblical theologies. Studying the Word of God is work. Mm-hmm. Is work. Now, I don't, I don't mean to offend any of your listeners here. I really don't mean to do that. But when, we, when, when I get into this area of studying and becoming students of the Word of God, it brings up another issue that I have, and that is with devotionals. Listen, no offense against those who use devotionals. My point in saying this is that sometimes a devotional can be a crutch. It can be used as a crutch. It can be a sort of a shortcut to convincing yourself that you've actually—you may have read the Word of God, but you haven't studied it. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between reading it and studying it, and sometimes devotionals— give us an easy way out as opposed to grinding it out and turning these pages just between you and the Holy Spirit to understand what the Word of God means. Daryl, I, I, we're just almost out of time, and I, and I wanted this series to always conclude with anyone who is listening who may not be in a right relationship with Jesus Christ to make that step of faith. Um, would you uh, lead us in a, in, a, in a prayer? Absolutely. I'll be glad to. Thank you, Bill. Father in heaven, we come before you right now. We come before your throne, O Lord, confident, Father, that you are a God who cannot lie. You are a God of love, mercy, grace, and forgiveness, but you are also a God who hates evil. You hate our sin. You hate our sin, O Lord, and you're going to judge us for our sin one day. I pray for those right now, O Lord, who are struggling with assurance and even those who are not yet believers that in your mercy and in your grace that you would reach out to them, O Lord, because it is only you who can change a heart. Only you, O Lord, through your Holy Spirit can regenerate us 
so that we will repent and believe and turn to you. Help us all to understand, O oh Lord, that this life is not all there is. That from the moment we were conceived, we began, we began to live for eternity. That every single one of us is going to spend eternity somewhere, either with you or without you. So, God, I pray that you would just be merciful to those who are hearing me right now, just as you were merciful to myself, to Bill, and to Peter. In your love and grace, I pray that you would save them, O oh Lord, and bring more into your kingdom right now. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, uh, dear. I just want to also add, if you're outside of God's family, maybe you have thought about Christianity, maybe you're a cultural Christian, you call yourself a Christian, but you're, you're not truly saved, you have not repented of your sins and asked Jesus uh, into your heart. You've not, uh, you said, I, I, I believe, but I really don't believe. And today I want to put my full allegiance in him. Uh, take that step of faith. And the Bible says you will be what's called born again. Mm. And you will have the, that assurance that we've been talking about all hour. And I just would be remiss if I didn't invite you to make that step of faith. And if you have made that and and decided as a result of this hour, maybe it's tonight or tomorrow, that you've made that decision, you can email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. I've got a Bible I'd like to send, uh, bill at myfaithradio.com. Daryl, it's just been so much fun. I've gotten just, our text line's lighting up. This show is so amazing today, just jaw-dropping. Man, is this guy good. They've gone on and on. I know you're not going to take credit for it, but thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Good meeting you, Peter. Yeah, you too, Daryl. Yep, Daryl B. Harrison has been our guest, and that wraps up our show for the day. Thank you, Peter. Yeah, it's been great blast, to be here. It? Oh, just incredible stuff. I agree with the, with the text coming in. I mean, yeah. just phenomenal stuff he had for just us as today. as fun as it can be. This yeah. is my idea of a good time. All right, that wraps up our show. Have a great night, everyone, and God bless you and your families, and I can't wait to spend time with you tomorrow. See you soon. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.